Well, good morning. Would you turn to Genesis chapter 42 with me? And uh, for those who are watching online, I want to welcome you as well. And for those who are listening on podcasts, and I want to invite you to come and worship with us here at Graceland, maybe some Sunday here in the upcoming future, or maybe at other, other location in Palmyra, Indiana. Uh, I want to take a moment and celebrate with you just for a few moments some of the great things that are happening at Graceland. First of all, I just want to say that God continues to bless our church. We continue to see growth from past years. And we're thankful for that. We are so grateful to God for doing that in and through our church. Our other location, Palmyra, Indiana, um, is also growing as well. And just a few weeks ago, we hired a worship leader for that location. We're excited about that. God continues to do unbelievable things there. Uh, Our campus pastor there told me, Brian, he said, Ray, we ran out of first uh, guest uh, mugs and bags because we had so many last week. I thought, now that is a good problem to have. So, thank you, right? And then the second thing is, as we had a wonderful weekend last weekend, but really just topped it off was the fact that we saw people say yes to Jesus Christ, begin following Jesus Christ, their lives transformed. And then we had uh, baptism as well. So we're just thankful for what God is doing in and through this place. So as you continue to journey along, do not miss out on what's going on, whether you look in the bulletin, um, look on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but then also online. Don't forget to look at and check out all that's happening in and through the life of Grace. And there's great stuff coming up. Now, speaking of online, I was reading a blog recently and a website was mentioned and I kind of caught my attention, especially what, I, what I'm going to be talking about today. And the website is called secretconfessions.com. I don't know if you're been to this website or not, but it kind of caught my eye. And so I looked it up, and on the front page of the website, it says this, confess your deepest, darkest secret anonymously. So that's what people do. They get on that website, they confess their deepest, darkest secret anonymously, and there's thousands upon thousands of confessions on there. There's um, a bunch of subcategories. I found addiction and anger and guilt and jealousy, and and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, Whether you agree with this website, whether you think that this website has missed the mark or not, that's regardless of what the point that I want to make. I think that it's unearthing something that I want to make a point of. And that is the fact that you and I and all of us in this room, no matter where we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how educated we are, we all have a past. We all have failures. We all, all of us have secrets. Think about it with me. All of us in this room have said something underneath of our breath. We've watched something possibly that we shouldn't have watched. We've, we've uh, done something that maybe no one knows or very few people know. We've actually done things to uh, other people that maybe people don't know or maybe only a few know. But all of us in this room, no matter if you grew up in church or you, this is the first time you've been to church, we all have a past. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, there's really three parts of our life. Uh, there is certainly our past, and all of us have one, as I just shared. There's a, a, a phrase that I heard recently that I thought was really interesting. The phrase is, is that what happens in Vegas... Right, but the, the, the point that I thought was so incredibly helpful was, is that that's not true at all. What happens in Vegas actually comes home with you. It takes residence with you. Whatever happens in your past, it also takes up resident, residence in your present as well. And then it 
follows into your future, what is ahead, regardless of whether it is just this afternoon or into the next decade. This is our life, our past, present, and future. And as I was thinking about our past, I was thinking about my past, thinking about kind of talking about that this a little bit, in regards to the life of Joseph, I thought about this movie, Trolls. Uh, Trolls uh, came out in 2016. How many of you saw the movie Trolls? Okay, it's basically, if I can summarize it, a bunch of cute little trolls singing a bunch of catchy songs, all happy. That's basically what the movie's about, okay? And um, I was thinking about my past, and I was like, that's not exactly what I would say is your past, a cute little troll. What I think our past is more like is the most ugly, awful-looking troll you've ever seen. We found a picture of one. Look at that. That is what your past is like. And your past is waiting in a dark alley of your life and waiting for you to walk by, and it jumps out, and it says, you could have. Oh, you should have. Shame, shame, shame. You, you could have done better. And then it leads you and I, because of our past, to say things like, if only. If only I wouldn't have made that bad decision. If only I had not said that thing to my child or to my brother, to my sister, my spouse, my aunt, my uncle, my mom, my dad, my colleague. If only I had not strayed from my marriage online. If I had not strayed from my marriage in my mind or strayed from my marriage physically. If I only had not strayed from what I knew to be true. If only I had listened to them. If only I would not have dated so-and-so. That would have led to this and these regrets in my life. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to help you. I want to help all of us understand how to get past our past. I want you and I to find freedom in our life, no matter who we are and how we are this morning. So we looked at Genesis chapter 42 this morning. That's what we're going to look at. Whether you have a smartphone, tablet, or a Bible that you brought, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 42. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. Please take that home. It'd be our gift to you. And Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's part of the Pentateuch, which Moses wrote. And there's, those, that's five first books of the Bible. And we've been learning about the life of Joseph. And our guy, Joseph, we were introduced to him. He's 17 years of age. He's born into a Bronze Age dysfunctional family. The Bible said he's talented. He's good looking. Um, I said he may resemble more like your pastor. You would disagree. I'm not bitter about that. You're laughing. So Joseph's brothers, because they're so jealous, they throw him into a cistern, and then they come and they get him out of the cistern. They sell him into slavery. He's taken to Egypt. He's sold on the slave auction block, and there on the auction block, he's bought as Potiphar's servant and slave. Potiphar, he's like the captain of the guard. He takes him in, and eventually Joseph rises in the ranks to become the leader of the household of Potiphar, a pretty prestigious position. Well, Miss, Mrs. Potiphar is watching. She likes what she sees. She makes a move on Joseph. Joseph says no no ma'am. And then because of she doesn't like it, she then tells a fib about Joseph and Potiphar gets mad. He throws Joseph out. He ends up in prison 12 to 14 years later. He's actually introduced the Pharaoh himself, the sun god, as they call him. He rises in the ranks and eventually ends up overseeing the, really the preparations of an upcoming famine. I mean, you have the providence and sovereignty of God right at work right here. And we've been talking about there's this theme through the life of Joseph. And the theme has been this, that you're going to make it. 
It's not how we thought it may go. The journey may take longer than we thought, but with God, we're going to make it. So today, would you all just read out loud this statement? We're going to put it on the screen for you. Ready? Here we go. I'm going to make it. It's not how I thought it might go. The journey may take longer than I thought, but with God, that's right. So let's look at Genesis chapter 42, and we're going to discover how God's faithfulness even invades our past. Verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? (laughs) This sounds like a dad, doesn't it, to his sons? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Now skip to verse 6. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. So, out of an act of survival, the brothers go to Egypt. They need food, and they find themselves unknowingly bowing down before their little brother. And Joseph has this recollection of the dream long, long ago, and he thought, oh my goodness, it's all coming to pass. And Joseph recognizes the brothers. They don't have as much hair. They don't look as good. They certainly have more wrinkles. And there's Reuben, and there's Simeon, and there's Judah standing before him. What is he going to do? Look at it with me in verse 6. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Oh, no, 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 my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. You can hear them already backpedaling. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, no, 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 your servants were 12 brothers, sons of one man who live in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father. And then look at this last phrase, and one is no more. I put this in your listening guide. I want you to highlight this, underline this in your Bible. I want you to take note of this. They say one is no more. Now, As I was studying this this last week, a few commentators, they gave insight and observation about this, and I wanted to bring this out for you today. Here's what I want you to think about. This was really the first time in many, many, many years that they had probably even mentioned the name and thought of Joseph. Think about it. How did they deal with problems of the past? How did they deal with things that they had said to their their mom or dad or or their children or their grandparents or their spouse or things they had watched, looked online or issues that have happened, whether it was just a few minutes ago or last decade in their life, they just didn't talk about it. They just lived in a state of denial. And now they're standing in Egypt And they could have lived in that continual state of denial. I mean, after all, right? Denial is actually a river in Egypt. You get that, right? But now their past, it comes flooding back into their life. And now they're confronted with it. And their guilty consciences, they arise. It's like that our past, it's like a label maker. And all these labels that we had put in the drawer, now they're come back out again. And now we have to read them all over again. And from the text, it's clear the brothers, they've avoided the past in hopes to erase it. But now it's been 
engraved in stone almost, engraved, and now they have to, they have to read it again. They have to reconcile it. And it's true in our life. See, we, we avoid our past to erase the past, don't we? We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to acknowledge it. In my research this last week, I found this article speaks about this. It says this, in 20 years, you can get married and start a family. In 20 years, you can start a career. In 20 years, you become wealthy. In 20 years, you can make yourself famous. In 20 years, you can be at the top of the world. But here's one thing you can't do in 20 years. You can't erase a guilty conscience. You see, it's the moral barometer of our life, this conscience. And we've all been given one, whether uh, we come here today and we're just checking out church and we're not a follower of Jesus Christ, or today we've, we've been a member of this church for many, many years. Our conscience is something that God put upon us. It's the indelible mark of a, an existing and living God. And the life-breathing word of God, actually this, this fr- from the text, it begins to teach us here that Joseph is about to help the brothers deal with their past and us as well. So what does Joseph do? Well, he throws them in jail for a few days. And you can see them stewing in jail. If you want to read further, I'm going to summarize it. They're like, well, this is what happens. This is what happens when we do what we did to Joseph. And then true to form, the oldest brother, verse 22, Reuben says, did I not tell you? In other words, told you so. Told you so, guys. Well, then Joseph, he takes them out of jail and he says, look, if you really are who you say you are, I want you to go back home. I want you to grab your brother, bring him back. And then they don't know this, but then he has the money put back into their grain sacks and they take it back with them back to their father in Canaan. So there they are and then held as collateral is Simeon, their brother, in prison. So Simeon is sitting, riding in a dungeon and they're back in Canaan. They're eating. They're back to where they needed to be. And Simeon's just sitting. Can you imagine how Simeon feels? Can you imagine him sitting in that dungeon thinking, this is how Joseph felt? Can you imagine sitting there as Simeon's thinking, are they going to come back for me? We didn't come back for Joseph. Can you imagine feeling that way? All of a sudden, everything coming full circle? Well, the brothers didn't really have any intention of coming back. If you look at uh, chapter 43 in Genesis, we're going to journey there together. And the opening phrase, if you want to underline this or highlight this, says this, now the famine was still severe in the land. We get this idea that it's been a while. They've been sitting here for quite a while. The supplies have held them out. Things have been good for a while. Well, now it's run out. What are they going to do? And I think what they begin to understand here is eventually their past is not, cannot be avoided and it cannot be postponed any longer. In your listening guide, you can write, eventually, look, our past cannot be postponed any longer. The brothers learned this and were reminded about this in the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of a, of a younger brother. The younger brother, he goes to his father, very wealthy man. He says, dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. So the, 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 the dad gives him his inheritance and the, and the son goes out and he spends it on wild living. Everything he, wasn't, he was trained not to do, he goes and does. And there he just goes crazy. Well, he spends every dollar till it's completely gone, and then a famine hits the land. 
When the famine hits the land, the son is dropped to his knees. And how is a Jew, a prince, if you will, of a city and and the son of a very wealthy man dropped to his knees? When you find yourself in a pigsty as a Jew, eating what they're eating. And the circumstances of this young prodigal son force him to deal with his past. He can't postpone it any longer. (laughs) I certainly can understand that prodigal son. There's been times where I was forced through circumstance, through situation to, to, to understand I couldn't postpone my past any longer, what I had done. So I was in college and I lived in this dorm that had curfew. Midnight was curfew and we had to make it back by curfew or we were fined. And so the reason they could tell if you made it back in by curfew is is you had this scanner at the door and this card and they would digitally read out and then they they would send you a fine and you'd get in trouble if you had so many fines. Well, I had a girlfriend at the time. She lived off campus and people that lived off campus didn't have a curfew. And all my friends, a lot of them didn't have curfew either. And so she'd invite a bunch of people over. We'd, we'd hang out and they would always start a movie at 11 p.m. And of course it would last till 1, 1.30 and her parents would make popcorn. We'd have a good time and we're enjoying ourselves. Well, I decided, you know what? I, I don't want to leave in the middle of the movie. I want to stay for the movie. So I devised a plan. The plan was, is that I was going to leave my window unlocked and I was just going to crawl through the window. It worked for a couple times at least. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm pulling one over on these guys. You know, this is, this is all working out. I'm not getting caught, right? And you thought I was a nice guy, didn't you? But what you're learning is I'm a little more devious, all right? So this is what's going on. And so one night, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I park my car. I turn the lights off as I drive into the dorm. And I tiptoe up to my my window. Everything seems calm. It's probably two in the morning. And I go to lift up my window and it's locked. I'm thinking, okay, very funny. My roommate, he's probably playing a prank on me. And I'm like, he's just playing. So I begin to rap on the window very quietly. And I'm thinking, man, when is he going to come? It felt like an eternity. And then all of a sudden I saw my resident director who was over the dorm, turn on the light and look at me and smile and say, hello. The scripture came to mind, be sure your sins will find you out. <laughs> he points at the door. I walk to the door. He opens it up. Hey, Ray, hey. And I just walk to my room. I have a very stern talking to a fine and several other things took place. You see, circumstance led me to have to deal with things in my past that I was so, certainly postponing. What God is doing to the brothers is that a famine is in the land and they're getting hungry and he's trying to move the brothers down the road so that his plan can be enacted for truly the plan of humanity. You see, what he's trying to do is he's trying to use circumstances so that they would then go back to Egypt. They would eventually reconcile with Joseph, their brother, and the family would move to Egypt. And then after they moved to Egypt, uh, the family would grow and they'd become a nation. And the promise uh, from God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15 would be fulfilled. And then thousands of years later, we're here today. It's unbelievable how this all happens. And God is not trying to squash them at all. He had a plan. Had their sheep stayed, uh, you know, fit and fed, their consciences would have kept sleeping. Let's think about our prodigal son for a moment. The pig pen propels the prodigal to make a 180 in his life. 
He's walking this way and all of a sudden a famine hits and he realizes like, if I'm going to survive, I've got to go back home to my father. The Bible calls this a teshuva. It means to repent. It means to turn back around. He repents. He begins to go back home and he's almost back to the city that he grew up in. And as he's approaching the city, he sees in the distance someone familiar and it's his father. And his dad, who's a very important, prestigious man, they never ran. His dad is running towards the son. And I can just see maybe the son limping or barely making it. And the son just, and the father just grabbing the son and loving on him. And he throws a feast for the son. I love how Spurgeon, he says it this way. Slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. See, God can run where we scarcely limp. And we are limping towards him. He will run towards us. And that's why I say it all the time, right? As Tim Keller says, that we are a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. You see, the Father, our heavenly Father, he awaits us as we have the decision whether to teshuva, to, to stop postponing dealing with our past, And to come home, and he's going to deal out compassion. Psalm 103, David says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion. In Matthew chapter 15, his gospel, he records Jesus in 29 and 30. He says, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there. And large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. Basically, all the ones in that culture who did not really have a place. And in verse 30, it says he healed them. See, Jesus is exhausted. He's depleted everything he has. He has nothing left to give. You ever felt like that? Well, then multiply it. And that's how Christ feels. And all these maim and all these deaf and all of these uh, quote unquote losers come to him. Those who have a past, those who have looked at things they shouldn't have looked at. Those who maybe have a criminal background. Maybe those who grew up religious, but you know what? Maybe just have a little bit more pride in their heart. And they come to him. And does, what does he say? He doesn't say, you know, your past is caught up with you. Hit the road. I don't have time for you. In verse 30, it says, he healed them. And the question is, does Jesus still minister this compassion today? Yes, he does. You see, the good news is, is that a surgeon, he's going to cut out things in our life, in our body, to heal our body, right? The surgeon is. That's what they're trained for. Then the pharmacist, he's, he's going to fulfill prescriptions so that your body is going to heal properly. But Jesus, he's going to put his, his, his compassion healing salve upon your greatest, deepest, darkest secrets when you turn home, when you allow the famine, if you will, in your life. And what he's going to do is he's going to administer, he's going to administer compassion. And what we're going to find is this, this heavenly father who is not just tiptoeing. He's not just limping, but he's running home to and running towards those who come home. And the question I want to ask you is, what if the prodigal had stayed in the pig pen? What if the brothers would have stayed in Canaan? What if those who needed ministering to around Jesus would have never gone to Jesus? What if, what if you keep postponing dealing with your past? Well, the brothers learned that the lesson here, and I hope we learn it as well, 
The brothers haven't learned it, but they're, it's quickly approaching. Look at verse 11, and we're going to keep reading. Then their father Israel, that's J- Jacob here, said to them, if, if it must be, then do this. They did, just explained that they've got to bring Benjamin back to Egypt. Put some of the best products of the land in your bag and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices, myrrh, some sp- pistachio nuts. Uh, basically, hey, give them the best that we've got. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your older brother and Benjamin come back with you. Verse 15. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried back to Egypt, presenting themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin, he said to them, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. So now the brothers, they're invited to Joseph's house. No Taco Bell. It's going to be Chick-fil-A or better, okay? It's going to be the best. Verse 17, we keep reading, the man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. And now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They're getting nervous. They're they're wondering, when's the hammer going to drop? Is this a big setup? When are we going to get what we deserve? So they, they thought, well, we were brought here because of the silver was put back into the sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance and said, hey, we beg your pardon. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have bought, brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. That's the steward. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given your treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. You can almost hear the brothers, right? Well, here's some pistachio nuts, and here's some silver, and here's this, and here's that. They're trying to appease him. Like they're guilty and they know it just like, uh, your, you know, your child, he's, they've done something wrong and well, mom or dad, I'll, I'll go clean my room or I'll do this or I'll do that. They know they're guilty. And the steward says, hey, relax. You know, God, you know, your God did that. He, the steward knows that God didn't do that, but the brothers didn't know who did that. And they said, we even brought Benjamin. We even brought the prize of the household to him. And the steward's like, Relax. And so they, they, they begin to gather things up because they know who's going to enter next. That's Joseph. So they put all the silver and stack it up so it looks nice and pretty, right? And they kind of pile up the pistachio nuts so it's like a perfect pyramid because they are in Egypt, right? And they get everything ready to go. And Joseph enters in verse 26. Look at it. It says, when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were and he said, and they said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, well, your servant, our father is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. And as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother? The one you told me about. And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurries away. He begins to weep. He, he, he dries his eyes and he goes back to the table and they have a feast. And the brothers are perplexed and they learn a lesson that all people for all generations must grapple with. And the lesson is this. 
when retribution is expected, reprieve is found. Another person said it this way, punishment was deserved, but pardon was given. And this flies in the face of our thinking. Why? Well, because when someone does something wrong, what do we want? Justice. 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 The brothers are thinking, we're guilty. We've done all this wrong. We've avoided it. We've postponed it. But now the gavel has to be thrown down. And what do they get? Nothing but a free meal. And this is perplexing to us. We think that God is just like us, this cosmic killjoy. He's going to give us a, basically an eye for an eye, right? And what God wants you to know is that even while we were still sinners, he died for us. See, their salvation, quote unquote, their salvation, they thought was going to come in the form of, of what they brought in their sacks, their silver, their pistachio nuts, the very best. They were trying to appease him. They, it was, they thought, well, man, I can offer things so that I can become free of what we've done in the past. But what they have to understand here is that Joseph, the only thing he's concerned about is relationship. Relationship with him. And this is so helpful for us when we're dealing with our past. When we stand before a holy and righteous God and we want to bring our best pistachio nuts and trying to appease him. See, when you pass from this earth, and all of us will, unless Jesus comes back, try offering a holy and righteous and almighty God your, your greatest form of success. Try offering God the fact that you memorized a few verses in the Bible. Or try offering God that you memorized every David Crowder song or every Bill Gaither song. or You were there every time this, the church doors open. Try offering God that. Do you understand that, that Joseph had more pistachio nuts than those guys ever had? Do you, the few pieces of silver they had, Joseph owned, he was wealthy. It's the same with our mere rags before God. And this is the message of really the Bible, the gospel, what transforms lives, especially those of us in this room who love to check the boxes in this room. You see, it's a relationship with Christ that helps us and provides a way to heaven. See, with him, it's heaven. Without him, it's hell. In the Bible, in John chapter 3, it says this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, here's the deal. God wants to take all of the junk, all of your past, all the things you've looked at, all the things you've said to your children, all the things you've said to your parents, all the things you've done to other people. Yesterday, the day before, the last decade, the last 50 years, the last 70 years, he wants to take all of that and he wants to take it upon the cross and he wants to execute it upon his own body so that you don't have to pay the price. And that's why he's called the substitutionary atonement. Another pastor says it this way, either you will serve your, for your sin or Jesus will. So in the, in the first, last few minutes that I have together with you, I want to give you two walkaways, just two, that you can take home with you, that you can apply to your life, that you can practically walk out. Here's the first one. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your full trust and weight upon Jesus as your only Lord and Savior, if you've done this in your life, in a moment, somehow in, in time, or even maybe you've just done it in the middle of my message, then what you can take to the bank is the fact that you, friend, have had your past completely and utterly deleted. It's been erased. It's been cast out. It's been separated as far as the east is from the west. You've, my friend, don't have a past anymore. And another thing to take note is what you only have is a present and a future. And what's been written in your past now is not your past, but it's grace. And when your past begins to whisper things back, when the label maker comes out, when the ugly troll is whispering you could have and should have, and man, you shouldn't have said that to your, your kids, and you shouldn't have said that to your spouse, and boy, what did you do there? And you have no right to serve in this way, and you have no right to reach out to your neighbors, and you have no right to say anything to your coworkers, you have no right to actually join in in what God is doing because of this X, Y, and Z, and da 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 What you can do is you can look at your past in the face, and you can quote this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things pass away, behold, new things things have come. Try preaching that to your past every single time. And from there, it should drive you. It should drive you to live a life worthy of the sacrificing gift that deleting your past cost. This is what it looks like to live a gospel-centered Life And then we need to stop throwing others past in their face as well. With your kids, with your spouse, with your parents, with your family members. Teach your children, friends, parents. Teach your children about the gospel through Joseph. Teach them these things. That's the first one. The second takeaway is this. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've come here today, I want you to know this. This is where you stand. You stand here, you sit here today, loved by us, but I want you to know you have a past. You have secrets. And it's not been cast aside. It's not been deleted. It's not been erased. And there's no amount of medicating that can separate you from it. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of relationship. There's no amount of busyness. That ugly troll you've been trying to avoid saying you should have and could have and if only, you're going to be forced to deal with it. And you've been avoiding it. You've been postponing it. Maybe for fear of what actually you might have to do, right? So I want to just leave you with this. A few weeks ago, my wife and I, we went on vacation to a ranch out west. And I used to work on this ranch 20 years ago. And I was excited about showing my wife this ranch that I worked on and hiking in the mountains. We love to do that. And the first day we were with my friends, I did something that I was dreading for 20 years. I actually confronted my past. So what you got to understand is this, is that the year that I worked for them on that ranch, I, uh, they gave me a car, actually a really nice car, a Quattro Audi. And it was just, I don't know, five years old. And it was a stick shift. It was an awesome car to drive. And that year I actually left it out of in neutral this, this, the, the, the stick in neutral, and it fell, it actually rolled down a hill and hit another car. 
to the point where it, it, I couldn't drive the rest of the summer. I'd wrecked their car, and then on top of it, they had ordered a whole uh, frozen, basically had a cow butchered, and it was sitting in this big freezer, and I left the freezer open one day getting some meat out. And so I ruined a, a whole side of beef, and on top of it, I wrecked their car. And then the third thing was they had this huge, big machinery. And my boss said, in teaching me how to drive, he said, do not back this up. And I messed up a, a, along one line, and so I thought, oh, he... I'll back it up. I mean, what, what trouble could happen? I start to back it up, and it bends a big piece of the frame. And it, we had to stop the production of the ranch for several days in order to get it fit. And so I go up to my friends just a few weeks ago, and I say, I just want you to know something. I've just been struggling with this. Look, I'm sorry. And they look at me like I've got three heads. And they're like, Ray, it's no big deal, man. We forgave you a long time ago. That, we've had farmhands do a lot worse than you did. No big deal. And I was just like, really? I've been avoiding this for 20 years and it was that easy? Yes. And then I thought of the prodigal limping towards home and the father running. Jesus wants to take your past. He already does, has. And what he wants to do is he wants to secure it and he wants to free you from it and he wants to erase your guilty conscience. And today, my prayer is, is that if you've never done that, that you will ask Christ to do it right now. See, we're a church family and we're a church family full, full of sinners with our past being completely cut off by Christ. So join the museum the hospital of sinners, not a bunch of saints.